Well, good morning. Before we get into a time in the Word this morning, we get to have one of those times in the the family life of the church that are truly a joy. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit had made clear that he had raised up a couple of servants to send out to be ambassadors or missionaries for Christ. And the church gathered and commissioned them and sent them out. And we get a chance to experience something similar this morning as we will have a commissioning service for Andrea Bamford, who is leaving in a short period of time to go serve in East Africa. And so I'm going to invite Andrea to come up. I'm going to ask her grandparents to come up, her parents, all of her siblings. I'm going to ask the missions committee, and I'm going to ask the elders to come forward because this is a family time. And it's a family of God time. And the sending, come over here on this side. And the sending and commissioning of anyone from our midst is something that involves not just the immediate family, but it involves all who know and love the person to be sent out. Andrea has gone on short-term missions the last few years and has felt the call to go and serve full-time in the country of Uganda. And if you would like to receive her ongoing ministry updates, emails, and letters and cards, there'll be a way for you to sign up. You can also call into the church office and say, hey, I want to hear from Andrea. So as we all gather, is everyone here? All but uh, the patriarch who is on his way. And there are uh, a few charges that I want to give. And so... I'm going to let them all come up, and then I'm going to stand over here so I can actually talk to them, okay? So now that they're all here, I'll move over here. And the first charge or the first challenge that I want to give is to Jim and Marcia. But actually, it's in more in way of an encouragement. When the people of God were led out of Egypt through the wilderness onto the land of promise, they were given a charge. Teach these things to your children and to your children's children. And we have a beautiful picture here this morning of a family that has lived out that legacy of teaching their children's children, and there's even the children of the children of the children that are here this morning, and I know that that legacy is continuing. And so may your tribe increase, not necessarily this immediate tribe, well, you're doing a pretty good job of that, <laughs> but representative of all of us who are passing on a legacy of faith. To Nathan and Christina, thank you for raising a daughter who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for offering her to the Lord at a young age and be willing to follow through when the time comes when God said, I put my hand on her and I want her to go out in my service. What a great example to all of us. My wife Carol and I had the privilege years ago of being sent out individually, one from Minnesota, one from Belgium, and we knew the cost that we were paying. But over time, we realized there was a cost that our family was paying as well. The family, the brothers, the sisters, the relatives. And so thank you for being willing to pay the cost and sending your daughter off in the Lord's hands. And I have to tell you, it's better hands than all state. Okay, and so you're going to be just fine as she goes off and serves the Lord. Andrea, thank you for hearing the Lord's call. And thank you for listening to the Lord's call. And thank you for being willing to take up your cross daily and follow the Lord all the way to East Africa. And we're grateful that we can send you out. This church loves and supports you. We want to stand around you in prayer. And as you go out, remember whose you are. 
You are the Lord Jesus Christ's daughter. You are our sister in Christ. You're a daughter of this beautiful family. You represent us, but more importantly, you represent the Lord. So be a good ambassador. And then to the church of God. There's a waiting world out there. There are still almost 40% of the world today that has not heard of the message of Jesus Christ. Almost 4 billion people alive on planet Earth today. If you go around the region of Oroville, the greater Oroville market area is 80,000 people. Every day, twice the market size of the Oroville area go off into eternity, many of them having never heard of Jesus Christ. Our greatest task as a church is not to have little squabbles and quarrels about silly things, but to be ambassadors for Christ both here and abroad. And so I ask you to stand with, beside, behind, and over, if it, as you will, this daughter that is going out representing us to remember to pray for her and for all of our missionaries that are out on the field. We have a great opportunity to proclaim Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear about him. And now we have the opportunity, as I invite, as, as Pastor Brian has left, one of the other elders to join me down front. We'd like to lay hands on Andrea and commission her and send her off with our love and support in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, we are so thankful this morning. What a wonderful and kind and giving God you are. Thank you for the mercies that you have shown us. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you for the gospel that gripped Andrea's heart oh so long ago. Thank you that in your good providence you have brought her through a heritage that is rich and growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that that would not end here, that it would continue with the next generation and the one after that. But we pray now as we send Andrea out, by your power, to be a witness for you. Lord, that there would be seeds of spiritual growth that would be planted throughout East Africa. And that, Father, we would have the joy one day of seeing the harvest of what will be planted and what will grow and what will be harvested. And we thank you, Father, that we can trust you. And so we thank you that as we commit Andrea into your care and into your guidance, you will lead her for your glory. And so, Father, we thank you that we can trust you to be over her, to guide her, to be behind her, to encourage her, beside her, to support her, in front of her, to lead her, and within her, to give her the strength she needs to hear your voice and to walk in it day by day. Oh, Father, may your love and your spirit pour out upon her as she recognizes how loved she is by this family, by this church, and most importantly, by our God, as we send her out now in your authority, and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's thank Andrea for answering the call, and give us under our support as she goes out this morning. Thank you. this time, if you've not yet had the chance to do so, I encourage you to turn your cell phones to silent as we are live streaming the service. Those of you that are joining online this morning, good morning. It is good that we can be with you this morning. 
around the table of the Lord, hearing from him through his word. And wherever you are gathered this morning, we trust that by his spirit you are with us and you're studying the word of God with us as well as we study out of Matthew 16 this morning. Good morning. If at all possible, we hope to see you soon, but we're so glad you're with us through the medium of technology this morning. And if you've had not a chance to sign up or to fill out the registration form this morning, I encourage you to do that now so we can know that you have been with us during this time. On September 21st, 1938, a hurricane of monstrous proportions struck the east coast of the United States. According to the author William Manchester, who wrote of the account, the Great Wall of Brine struck the beaches of Long Island, New York at 2.30 p.m. So mighty was the power of that first storm wave that its impact was registered on a seismograph in Sitka, Alaska, hundreds of miles away. And while the spray was carried northward by the violent wind over a, at 100 miles an hour covering the windows in Montpelier, Vermont, but for some reason, the meteorologist, who should have known what was coming and should have warned the public, seemed strangely blind to the impending disaster. Either they ignored their instruments or they simply wouldn't believe them. And of course, if the forecasters were blind, the public was as well. And among the striking stories that came out of that incident, according to William Manchester, was the experience of one Long Islander man who had bought a barometer in the store a few days earlier and had it shipped to his house. And it arrived at his home on the morning of September 21st. And to his great annoyance, the needle pointed below 29 where the dial read hurricanes and tornadoes. He shook it and banged it against the wall, but the needle wouldn't budge. And dignity sat down and wrote a scorching letter to the store from where he had bought the instrument, repacked it, brought it to the post office, and mailed it back. And while he was gone, his house was blown away. The barometer was right. There was a hurricane. But I think this story reveals a little bit how we all are. If we can't cope with the forecast, we blame the barometer. Or we ignore it. Or we throw it away. The hurricane will still come nonetheless. And the encounter that we saw that Jesus had with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we looked at that last week in chapter 16, the first four verses. These religious leaders came to Jesus and asked for a sign that he truly was from God. But because he knew that they had not come in faith and because they knew that he had, they had already refused the signs that they had already been given, he gave them a flat no. They had missed the sign, and therefore they had no right to ask for the sign. They will be in trouble. The barometer was reading hurricane, and they were ignoring it. Well, in today's passage, the disciples will show that, unfortunately, they are still slow in understanding who Jesus really is. So in order that they do not fall into the trap of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's going to give them another lesson, talking about bread, and the nature of himself as the bread of life, and the need to avoid bad leaven. He does not want them to be overtaken, as were his enemies, by false teachers. Well, with all that as our introduction, friends, I invite you to stand this morning as I read our passage that we will study, Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12. <clears throat> 
and the truthful and holy word of God says when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they showed, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord given to us this morning to instruct us to beware of false teaching, to keep our minds focused on what is true and what is eternal. Let us receive it this morning for its intended purpose. Please be seated. And let us pray. Now, Father, we turn to you in these moments because we need to. Because unless you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and minds this morning, we will not see, we will not understand, we will not embrace. But if, Father, you're at work in our midst, then our eyes will be opened and we will have understanding. And so we ask that you would grant that this morning, that you would guide and teach us in such a way that we would know that through your word we have met the living God this morning, and that we will leave knowing that we have heard from you, and we will be changed thereby. To that end, we pray, Father, for our good, but more importantly, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. encourage you to turn, if you've already done so, in your sermon outline, your bulletin, and take notes as we follow along. You can take them on the church app as well. And I pray that as we're going along and as we're studying this passage already, people come to mind with whom you can share the truth that you will be learning this morning. Our first major point as we dive into our passage this morning is the discovery the discovery. And our passage begins. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Now, there are not as many time indicators as we might like to indicate exactly the sequence of events, but we can deduct a little bit from the context and see that Jesus and his disciples apparently got back into the boat and crossed back over the Sea of Galilee. Now, as we saw last week, they were leaving a region of Magadan, as we saw a couple weeks ago, I should say, the end of chapter 15, they're leaving the region of Magadan. So if they're crossing back over the Sea of Galilee, this time they're going into Gentile lands, somewhere on the northwestern side, northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And from there, they will continue further north into the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is found much further north of the region of Galilee. So as they cross the sea, as they reach the other side, The disciples take notice that they've not brought the usual provisions for such a trip. Perhaps their departure happened quickly. Perhaps they didn't realize how long this trip to the Gentiles would be. I think any of us that are planning for a trip can relate to this situation. You're preparing for a trip and you think somebody else is going to bring something and they think you're going to bring something and you get there and it hasn't been brought. Maybe that's the case. It's also the case that sometimes every man's challenge is no man's challenge. 
Oh, I'll just leave it for somebody else to do. Well, anyway, we can imagine these 12 men having a conversation going on for a while as Jesus listens in. You get 12 people together, you get 12 men together, they start discussing things, chances are there's going to be some differences of opinion and there's going to start to be some animated conversation. Might even be some blame casting. Well, the idea of bringing bread might seem strange to us. But in fact, it was not uncommon for Jewish people to want to bring bread with them as they ventured into Gentile regions. They wouldn't want to risk being made unclean by food that had been ceremonially unclean. It's also possible, though not probable, that they were still thinking of what Jesus said when they went into the Gentile area. He said, don't take anything with you. But I think we know enough by now, looking at what has happened over the last several chapters, that they just simply don't understand. They're not really knowing fully what is going on. They're still a bit obtuse in their understanding about the things of the kingdom of heaven. So they get to the other side and realize that they are hungry and discover they have no bread. And so here we have 12 men, relatively young, a big appetite. They're hungry. Now all they're thinking about is how they're hungry. They don't have a mindset that can think about the things of God. So when we go from the discovery, we get to the warning. The warning. And we pick up the reading in verse 6. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus hears them discussing about bread, but he's been warning them about leaven. He's using a metaphor to show how dangerous and evil is the teaching of those parties that are opposed to him, namely the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember last week as we talked about them, you have the self-righteous Pharisee. You have the self-indulgent Sadducee. One is practicing ritualism and following the traditions of the elders. The other is more rationalistic and wants to have a basic understanding and answer for everything without resorting to spiritual forces. Now, Jesus is well aware of the danger of depending upon human thinking. He knows that the flesh is weak. He knows that there are going to be problems with some of his disciples in the not-so-distant future. He knows that they're still learning about what they need to know. They need to grow further in their understanding of the things of God. Unfortunately, they're still operating more on a human level than on any other. And so he wants to teach them to think in a godly manner, not just in a human manner. He wants them to be heavenly-minded so that they truly are of earthly good. To be merely earthly-minded is to miss the purpose of both heaven and earth. But those that are truly heavenly-minded on the things of God are the ones who in the end accomplish the most earthly good. So he says, watch and beware. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Watch out for those who follow these parties will find themselves in a dastardly place one day. As he talks about leaven, you know what leaven is piece of dough from the last batch that is used to cause the new batch of dough to rise and to be ready for baking. This was a common thing in the life, particularly of a, of a Jewish woman, who would be the one mainly responsible for making bread. But here Jesus is using it as a metaphor to push the disciples to think on a different level than just the mere physical and human level. He's going to speak to them of a metaphor, not just of a local baker but a metaphor that represents a worldview that influences everything in it. Leaven has an outsized influence on its surroundings, on its environment. 
And if he's using it to talk about a worldview, which he is, that worldview affects how you think, what you believe, what you do, what you teach, what you think is right or wrong, how is the proper way to live. All of those things flow from our worldview that we all have. And most of the time, we don't think about our worldview. We think with our worldview. And our worldview is simply, well, that's the way things should be. That's our worldview. But what happens when that's the way things should be encounters the way things ought to be of the Word of God? What has to change? The Word of God or our worldview? That's what's going on this morning as he is dealing with the disciples, as they're still thinking on this human plane. Oh, we haven't brought any bread, they say. And they hear Jesus warning about leaven, and they think, well, is it because the Pharisees had some bad leaven? Do they not make good bread? Do we're supposed to avoid them? Is Jesus just saying, well, buy some bread from here and not from here? Because they're thinking with a worldview that still needs to be changed. They're not putting their best foot forward. They're not showing a good example of discipleship. And the one thing I love about looking at the example of Jesus as he leads the disciples is that it is always returning back to the grace of Jesus, to the righteousness of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus, because the disciples continue to fail. And if we're in Christ this morning, we will continue to fail, and we'll continue to do dumb things and say wrong things and make wrong decisions. And it's at that moment that we just repent and we turn back to Jesus because, after all, he is our righteousness. Do we live it out, though? We sing, when he shall come and trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone. Do we believe it? Are we putting our whole trust in it? Because that's the only thing that can save. Well, after seeing the warning, we get now to the reprimand, the reprimand. Clearly, Jesus and the disciples are not on the same wavelength. Bread has been a major issue that Jesus has talked about across several chapters in Matthew, but there's still room for the disciples to grow in their understanding. Here they are with Jesus, who has performed these miracles. And to paraphrase Spurgeon, who was commenting on this passage, it's as if Jesus is saying to them, what occasion can there be for anxiety in my presence when I have always supplied your wants? But Jesus is going to have to rebuke them because he has at least three concerns over the attitude that they're displaying in the situation. And the first one is they did not believe. They did not believe. Verse 8 says, But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? They're not being observant about what is actually in front of them. Now, shortly after the 1912 presidential elections in the United States, elections that he won, Woodrow Wilson visited an aged aunt whom he had not seen for some time. Well, what are you doing these days, Woodrow? she asked. Well, I've just been elected president. Oh, yeah? President of what? Well, president of the United States. Oh, Woodrow, don't be so silly. At least she had an excuse, sort of. She hadn't been paying attention to the news. But here the disciples had seen what Jesus had done and heard what he had said, and for some reason they still do not believe. And so Jesus is listening in on their conversation, and then he says, Oh, you of little faith. It's an expression that he uses several times in the gospel according to Matthew. And in each case, it refers to believers. He's saying, Oh, you of little faith. He's not saying, Oh, you of no faith. 
He's not pleased with their level of faith, but at least they have faith. And he wants to bring them to a deeper level, a higher level, a richer level of the faith that they have in him. Because faith is critical to the Christian life, and Jesus knows that. Faith is critical to everything that we have in the Christian life. We are saved by grace through faith. We are forgiven of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. We walk by faith in the trustworthiness of God and the truth of his word. We walk because his character is unchanging and sure. In fact, we are told that without faith we can't even please God, as we're warned in Hebrews 11.6. Without operating according to true faith, we're thinking merely on the daily and the mundane instead of the eternal and the glorious. So the challenge goes out then, are we those who are walking by faith? Not a blind faith, a faith that is in the sure and trustworthy word of God, a a faith that is in the absolute conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, a faith that is grounded in the fact that there is an empty tomb that shows that Jesus is victorious over life and death. Do you have a living hope today? Do you have a living faith? Does it show in how you make decisions day by day that you are living and trusting in a God who is sovereign and providential and guiding and providing in your life? Do you trust God? This is the problem the disciples had. They were right there, and yet they're still not trusting. They're still not believing. Keep in mind, while Jesus is asking this question, and while they're having this discussion going on, that both of the feeding miracles of the masses are just right there in the background. And so is the conversation that he has just had with the Pharisees about what is clean and what is unclean and about what signs will be performed and what signs should be accepted. These two Jewish groups had come to Jesus. They lacked faith. They didn't want to believe in him. They didn't want to accept what he had done. They said, show us the sign. But of course, they remained closed-minded in their thinking. And Jesus does not want his disciples to fall into the same trap but rather to think like those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So they did not believe. The second concern is that they did not understand. And I'm going to read from part of verse 9 and then part of verse 11. Do you not yet perceive, Jesus said, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, if we do a little summary of what we've seen so far in the gospel according to Matthew, in chapter 13, towards the beginning, Jesus said that the secrets of the kingdom of heaven were given to these disciples. Things have been revealed to them, shown them, given to them that they did not earn, did not deserve. They were part of the grace of God, and so they should have the ability to understand the deep truths of God. But that's not the whole story. Later on in chapter 13... As Jesus is giving parable after parable, he turns to the one to whom the secrets had been revealed, and he says, do you understand these things? And they said, yes. But of course, he said at the time, and Jesus knew at the time, that they were speaking better than they knew. He knew that he still had more they had to teach them. He had had to teach them. They still had more they had to understand. And time and time again, since that time, we have seen that they did not, in fact, really understand the things of Jesus including seeing the two occasions of the miracles of the loaves and the fishes, once among the Jews, once among the Gentiles. They still needed to grow in their understanding of the grace of Jesus. And perhaps Matthew, as 
as God the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, as he's organizing the material that he has on Jesus, is setting us up for a great confession of faith to come. And indeed, that's what we see in just a few verses as we move on. So let's think of the disciples. They'd been with Jesus for a while. Some of them had been with him almost from the beginning of his ministry. They had heard Jesus speak of God's promise to provide daily bread. Jesus teaching his followers to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and that same passage goes on and says, Why are you worried about the mundane and the daily? Your Father knows that you need them and he will provide for them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They would have heard of the example of Jesus himself who went off into the wilderness and he was tempted to turn stones into bread. And he said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They'd heard him teaching about how we're to trust God, how we're to walk with him, how we know that we're, he's to provide for us and not to worry because God is our father who takes care of us. So they'd heard all that. They'd even seen a number of these miracles and presentations. And then at this current moment of need, Jesus has to rebuke them because they've not, they think it's because they've not brought any bread. They're missing the point. If they'd understood what Jesus is saying, they would understand that would the bread of life who is present with them really be concerned about their lack of physical bread? But they're still operating on that earthly plane, that human plane, thinking that just literal bread instead of seeing it as a metaphor for evil influence which was the leaven of the pharisees and the sadducees the pharisees and the sadducees had looked to the skies they could predict the weather and had missed the sign that had come from heaven jesus doesn't want the disciples to commit the same mistake to miss the obvious to miss the truth and i know at times jesus was at the point of being exasperated with the disciples. And sometimes we do as well. We read to them and say, well, why can't you see it? We just, we just heard about it. You were actually there. You saw it with your eyes. You heard with your ears. You touched with your hands. You lived it. You slept in the tents with them. You went on the hikes with them. You were day by day. Why didn't you see it? Until we start to look at ourselves. And we realize how often we are like them. We're made of the same stuff. We can see God do an amazing thing. He can answer prayer. He can fill our heart with joy. And the next time we get into a moment of need, it's like, hey, God, where are you? And we get mad because he's forgotten about us. So we think that somehow he can't take care of us. Or somehow, maybe because we've thought of a promise that he didn't give. He never gave a promise that we would have no difficulty in life. He never gave a promise that we wouldn't be persecuted. He never gave a promise that we would only be on top, that we'd only be successful, that we'd only have good things. He said, no, you'll have me, which is far greater than all of those other things. I hope this morning, if we hear anything from Jesus this morning, that we'd repent and say, Father, I don't want to be like this, where I don't believe or I don't understand. And we turn back to the one who can gird up our faith and strengthen us and encourage us. Because not only did they not believe as they should have, not only did they not understand as they should have, they also did not remember. Verse 9. 
Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Why are you worried about bread, Jesus said. Do you still not notice who I am and what I can do? You've seen and you've heard, but yet you still need eyes and ears to see and to hear. The sign was right in front of them. And he's calling out to them to see it. So Jesus summarizes what he has done. And we've seen it in previous weeks. Jesus just gives us the details in summary form. He had taken five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. They had 12 baskets left over, which we said, one basket for each disciple, a, a sign of the new covenant community that he is forming over which he is the head. And he's the bread of life. He's the true manna. He's leading us through the wilderness of this world to where we one day arrive on the shores of heaven and live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And the word that's used for baskets here was the one that was used for a typical Jewish meal. And then he talks about the seven loaves that were used for the 4,000 men plus women and children. And they had seven baskets left over, showing that the Lord was able to take seven small loaves meant for a simple meal for one or two and multiply it and have abundance besides. So the even Gentiles are included in this new community of the redeemed as they believe, as they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the basket is a different word. And it's used for what's common in fishing villages. Large baskets that could carry a large amount of produce. Jesus is confirming for us the details of these two miracles of feeding the multitude. And so as he is reminding them of what he has done, he's asking them to put it together to understand the work of the Lord. I've provided for you again and again and again. And in those two miraculous feedings, they were even involved. If you remember the details, Jesus divided the bread, gave them to them, who then distributed to the masses. They were even used as blessings of God to others. And so in our own minds, we, we struggle. How is it impossible for them not to remember or not to consider or not to reflect upon what Jesus has already done for them? How could they possibly wonder about simple human bread, physical bread, when they've already seen what Jesus can do and provide? And so we see the problem here was not a lack of bread. It was a lack of understanding and faith. And I think it's good for us to remember that all of the so-called heroes of the faith, from Abraham to Moses to David to Samuel, from Mary to Esther to Abigail to Elizabeth, from the 12 apostles down to us if we all have feet of clay we're all prone to forget things even important things how many of us just even this week have had a hard time remembering a name of someone we knew that we had met and suddenly we can't place the name with the face or forgot that important number that we were supposed to remember or forgot where we laid the car keys or where we set down a cup of coffee how often is it we might say in daily discourse, you know, you look familiar, but I can't quite remember your name. Even with important things, we might sometimes struggle to remember. I found a humorous story this week that illustrates this point. It comes out of Montgomery, Alabama. In the days long before cell phones, a man named Sam drove more than five hours before noticing he had left someone behind at the filling station, his wife. So at the next town, 
He asked the police to help him get in touch with her. And then Sam called back to the filling station to say he was on his way. He admitted with great embarrassment that he just hadn't noticed her absence. Now, how Sam could forget his wife is beyond me. But wait. Look at the apostles. Look at their relationship to God, with the Lord. How they'd forgotten what he had done in their presence, with them, including them. And I hope we're not like that. We fail to remember the one who created us, who redeemed us, who provides for us, who answers our prayers. I don't know how it's possible that they forgot what Jesus had done, but I know my own heart, and it's a struggle not to forget. And then I go back and read the scriptures and over and over and over again from beginning to end. It says, remember these things. Remember what God has done. And as we saw a great illustration this morning, teach these things to your children and to your children's children because we're prone to forget. And as bad as it might be to forget one's spouse, it's even a greater eternal consequence to forget God. So Jesus reminds the disciples of what he has done and what he says and just says, do you remember what I've done for you? Do you understand who I am? Do you understand the miracles that I've performed, what I've done in your midst, that I'm the bread of life, that I'm the Messiah? I've fed the multitudes. I've turned the water into wine. How do you not understand? So as you go through this next week and you think about this passage, use this passage as a motivation to pray. Oh, Father, remind me of what you've done. Remind me of the good things that you've done because we're prone to forget once our bellies are full and there's money in the bank. But let us remember that there is all these things have come from the Lord who gives us all that we need and often much more. And he gives again and again. May we turn each of those provisions into an object or a possibility of praise where we say, thank you for what you've provided. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for who I am in Christ. Thank you that my future is secure. And just turn all these into prayer requests that we would remember because we have seen what God has done. And lastly, then, after this time of rebuke and reprimand, we see the breakthrough. The breakthrough. Verse 12. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. As Jesus is teaching them and guiding them and rebuking them and gently chiding them, suddenly they have an aha moment. Oh, he's not talking about physical bread and the leaven that causes dough to rise. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so we look at what is the meaning of leaven. Well, leaven is important in the Bible and is often used as a sign of wickedness. Leaven has an outside influence, as we've said, on its environment because it touches everything. So in the Bible, leaven is often used as a sign of wickedness of things that we are to avoid. And in the examples that we have in 1 Corinthians 5 and in Galatians 5, Paul is warning believers against letting worldly thinking seep into the church. A worldly thinking that either moves us to live like the world and how we make decisions and spend our money and use our time or else leads us to some type of rigorous law keeping that we can never keep and we get away from grace. There is one time where leaven is used as a positive influence. It's also back in chapter 13. And in that case, the leaven represents the kingdom of heaven. 
which is to influence everything into which it comes into contact. And if we are in the church, then we are to be the leaven of the world, having an impact on society and on the world that is for righteousness and holiness and justice and truth. But clearly in this case, this leaven is wicked. What the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing was building traditions and customs and teachings that were not based upon the true understanding of the Word of God. Self-righteous on the one hand with rituals, self-indulgent on the other with rationalism, they manipulated the Word of God to fit their purpose. That leaven, that wicked leaven, influenced their whole life, their thinking, their planning, their speaking, their doing, their feeling. And so Jesus warns them then about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, as we've already seen, the Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed on so many things. They disagreed on the nature and use of the law. They disagreed on how to relate to the Roman authorities. The Pharisees wanted them to be put away. The Sadducees said, hey, we're getting rich by hanging out with the Romans. We kind of like them. The Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in anything outside of the Torah. They're politically minded. They'd become wealthy because they controlled the priesthood and the temple. They were happy to keep things as they were. So they ignored the word of God, not doing what was right and prudent and profitable. The Pharisees, on the other hand, thought they would get righteous by keeping the laws that they themselves had created. Yes, they believed in the supernatural. They believed in angels and miracles and the prophets. But it was because they took their doctrine to the scriptures instead of pulling their doctrine from the scriptures that they twisted the word of God. So we need to be aware, my friends, of doing the same thing, of going to one tendency over the other. We need to be aware of man-made laws, man-made traditions, man-made philosophies, man-made worldly way of thinking, things that might become precious to us, but can we defend them biblically? When we see something that's clear in the Word of God, but our first reaction is, oh, well, that can't be. It might be then that it's our worldview that needs to come into correction, not the Word of God. We need to be careful that we, too, don't set up our own traditions of the elders, things that we start serving because they're just important to us. But they can also draw others away from a rigorous walk with the Lord. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed on so many things. So what was the teaching then that Jesus is warning them about? And I think it's clear that in the context and what we see in the gospel according to Matthew, it was their joint opposition to Jesus and his messianic ministry. They both rigorously opposed his teachings, his miracles, his interpretation of the law. And Jesus does not want his own disciples to become dull to the things of the Spirit and be only focused on their physical concerns. Don't take your eyes off the kingdom of heaven, he says. Focus on that which is true and eternal. And so then it's a warning for us today. We're constantly in spiritual battle today. Every generation of believers from this first encounter that Jesus has with the apostles with these warnings is, is relevant for every generation of believers. We're not immune to the same dangers that they face. We also are warned not to be leavened by the world. And yet, if the statistics are right, far too many Christians are. Where there's very little difference in the way that Christians spend their money, spend their time, practice their entertainment, how they plan for the future. Very similar, the fears, the phobias, the strengths, the weaknesses as the people of the world. 
there's often more of the church, often more of the world in the church than there is a church in the world. So we need to constantly keep our spiritual focus sharp. We need to beware of worldly ways of thinking. What were those things, some things that we face today? Well, I would call it the bigger is better syndrome. Get the bigger house. Get the bigger salary. Get the second house. Get the better stuff of this world. Get, get ahead. Get the grades. Get acclaim. Get the title. Now, left to themselves, Jesus would say those things are, are good things. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then... These things will be added to you, what you truly need. You cannot be earthly-minded, chasing after the treasures and pleasures of the world and expect to grow in true righteousness. Another statement that we see, it's a little more common in a couple decades ago than it is now, but he who dies with the most toys wins. Wins what? The biggest ash pile and the final fire at the end? He who dies with the most toys was probably the one who least lived for the kingdom of heaven. And in both cases, the one who lives for God and the one who doesn't live for God, they both leave it all behind. And they can take nothing with them. And so wise is the one then who uses the treasures that he has to invest in the things of heaven, in the advancement of the kingdom of God, and promotion of, of godliness and righteousness. You cannot take it with you, but if you invest wisely in the things of God, you can send it on ahead to give you a reward when you arrive in his presence one day. Oh, there's many other things that we could talk about that are worldly ways of thinking, but here's just a few more that are common in our media, common in our advertising. Follow your heart. Now you be you. Now you do you. You're enough. You're worth it. Each of these things is an idol before a holy God. We're not to follow our heart, for they often deceive us. Truth be told, if we're honest, we don't even understand the stuff that per percolates through our heart. Why do I think this way? Why am I drawn this way or this way? As those who are born in sin, with a sin nature, we're born in opposition to God, and that includes all of us, and we are not enough in ourselves. And you know what? It's liberating to say, I am not enough because I serve a Savior who is everything. In fact, our trying to be enough or trying to be ourselves is what got us in trouble in the first place when our first parents decided, nope, going to do it our own way. And then that got us into trouble. It's not righteous to accept this thinking that says, well, that's just the way I am. When we're all born in sin and called to become more like Christ. The one who has made us, the one who's created us, the one who has gifted us, the one who empowers us said, I want you to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I want you to grow in righteousness. I want you to grow in holiness. I want you to say no to the flesh. And yes, to the spirit so that you might live. We can never enable sin or accept sin and say, that's just the way I am. Don't enable somebody else with that way of thinking. Say, yes, you might be that way, but you are called to be so much more as you grow in sanctification in Christ. So far from doing our own thing or following our own ways, we're to follow the commands of the Lord, which are for our ultimate benefit and our ultimate blessing. It is the ultimate pleasure to do what God desires of us for in truly knowing God we find our ultimate worth and pleasure and identity and hope 
and assurance and conviction and standing. So Jesus warns his disciples against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who stood against him. And as he does that, and he's going to continue teaching, he's going to say, yes, but there is teaching that we are to do. We need to teach the things of the faith. We need to teach the things of the scriptures. We need to teach the things of Christ. And if we have a right understanding of God, we will experience all that he has for us. And we need to think and we need to discern appropriately because truth is found in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And as we know him, we know the truth. As we learn his ways, we walk in the truth. As we allow his truth to empower us through the spirit of truth, guided by the word of truth, he transforms us, he empowers us, he enables us to maintain a witness and integrity, strengthens us to walk in obedience and produces a harvest in our lives that will last unto eternity for his glory. That truth aids us to avoid the leaven of this world and the so-called wisdom of this age. We read this morning that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing Jesus Christ is wisdom, for he is the wisdom of God. But sometimes I hear, it's a privilege that I've been just to be in different ministry situations around the world, I hear this everywhere, but doctrine divides. And my answer is, you're right. Doctrine divides. It divides truth from error. It divides wandering from wonder about the things of God. It divides worship from idolatry. And someone might say, well, I just, I keep it simple. I just believe in Jesus. Okay? Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? Why is Jesus important? And the moment you start defining who Jesus is or what he has done, you're dealing with doctrine and theology. So guess what, my friends? We're all theologians. Theos, the Greek word for God, logia, the word for study or science of. We are all theologians. We all have thoughts about God, the Bible, Jesus, ultimate things, meaning of life, purpose, judgment. So the only question is, what kind of theologians are we? Are we those who show our growing interest in the things of God and the love of God and the word of God? Or we just want to hang on to our own ways because that's what we're comfortable with. What should characterize the one who is truly following Christ is growing in our understanding of the Word of God and our application of it in our lives. We should never settle for the status quo. We should always be moving forward and upward because he's drawing us and calling us. He's saying, one step further, one step further, one step further. We need to continue to grow. We should be the best learners. We should be the best students. Because we have the most to study for, the most to live for, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the years that I was involved in teaching and I would prepare young teachers to get ready to prepare lessons, I learned an adage. The teacher who stops learning today stops growing tomorrow. I'm going to say that for Christians because we're all called to teach the things of God. The Christian who stops learning today stops growing tomorrow. And we should always have new and fresh things that we can teach because we're learning and remembering and reflecting. 
So far from wanting to have the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, we want good doctrine that focuses on the true nature of God as he's revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Doctrine that focuses on Jesus as the true God-man, the true second and final Adam, who is the sole redeemer and savior of all who believe. True and good doctrine focuses on the inspiration, the truth, the authority, and sufficiency of the scriptures that God has given us, which gives us all that we need for life and godliness, growing in the fullness of his revelation. True and good doctrine focuses on the nature of the church as the called out ones who have been called out of this world to join the family of God, who are the gathered ones, because that's what the word church means, who are the redeemed ones, who are the sanctified ones, who are growing in unity and growing in obedience and growing in love and growing in sanctification. The Apostle Paul was writing towards the end of his life to one of his young protégés. I think he had passages like this one in mind as he warned Timothy, like Jesus is warning us for, to be leavened by Christ and not by the things of the world, when he told Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by do so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. We're to beware of bad leaven. We're to go after the good leaven that influences everything in our lives under righteousness and holiness so that we will show that we are truly his followers and his disciples. Now, the next time we get back to the gospel according to Matthew, we will see Jesus with disciples in the Gentile area of Caesarea Philippi. And there we will see some of the greatest, probably the greatest confession of faith that is contained in the New Testament. But I'm going to leave you hanging until we get there. But until then, what are some lessons that we can take from today's passage? Because we are surrounded by false teachers, we turn to Jesus, who is the truth, to guide and teach us in his ways. Because we are prone to forget the blessings of God, we ask him to strengthen us to remember his deeds with grateful hearts. We should be the most joy-filled people, the most grateful people, because we have a God who does so much for us. Thirdly, because we are prone to forget the blessings of God, we ask him to strengthen us to remind others of the things that he has done. That's how we speak faith and encouragement to one another. Hang in there, brother. Remember what the Lord has done. Remember how he answered your prayers. Remember what he has promised. Because we do not walk alone. We walk as his people. And lastly, because Jesus is the bread of life, we turn to him daily for the feeding of our souls feeding of our souls. There's no more important thing you can do today than to spend some time quietly before the Lord with your Bible open, reading the word of life, asking the Lord to fill you anew and afresh with his spirit and with his word that you may walk according to its ways. Let us pray. Father, in these moments, we turn to you and we recognize that unless we are honest and humble before you, whatever spiritual exercise we're involved in is of little value. So, Father, we thank you that as you have warned us about the leaven of this world, you have also given us the truth of heaven 
we ask these in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we who know him this morning as Lord and Savior would savor the fact that he is truth embodied, that he is our God, our King, our ruler, our judge, our Holy One. May we walk in a way of dependency upon him and his spirit in joyful obedience, come what may. So thank you, Father, for the warnings that you give us and the reminders that we need to keep our spiritual thinking sharp, our moral compass clear, to know that the, the warnings of judgment are true and they are coming. But if we're in Christ, those judgments will pass over us for we're already secure in Christ. So Lord, help us as only you can. Teach us and lead us by your holy word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as we pray in Jesus' name.